Welcome to the Toffee Blues, your source for all things Everton. And welcome to another show where, once again, I'm joined by Teddy McAllister and also a very warm welcome back to the Toffee Blues to Dave Johnston from the Falcon Blues. How are you doing, Dave? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks, thanks very much for having us on. Um, I think it's my first tired. show. It's my first show as host alongside you, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's normally being Jerry. I've, uh, I've, I've not heard from him much, on even on Twitter, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, he's doing well with the fact, think, yeah. Yeah. It's obviously big shoes for me to fill, at least. <laughs> Definitely, mate, yeah. Uh, yeah, so obviously tonight we're going to be doing a manager review, and tonight's manager will be the recently departed Marco Silva. After that, he's we're not going dead. to. Be... <laughs> 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 you know, that's, that's, that does sound like he's like, passed away the way you said that. <laughs> Best way to put it be the recently. I mean, I was trying to say it in a nice way, but the recently sacked Marco Silva. I mean, do, that sounds it sounds a lot more harsh, but at least it doesn't sound like he's dead. <laughs> and then, Sorry, mate, you didn't flow there. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> You're alright, mate. So, okay, just a quick, we'll just clarify before we move on. Marco Silva is alive and well. <laughs> uh, after that, we're going to have a transfer segment where we discuss our priorities for the next window, whatever that may be. We'll give our thoughts on a few positions in the team and we'll finish off with an If You Know Your History Everton quiz. Before we get going on those segments, how are you guys doing? How are you holding up? How are you managing your lockdown? Yeah, pretty good. So same old, same old, really, until today. I'm back um, doing some work from home today. Um, first time since the lockdown, so I'm being quite, uh, quite lucky to get this far without having to do it. But... Um, yeah, it's all right. I, I'm one of those rare people. I can't work from home. I hate it. I get too easily distracted. I like the uh, the mental checkpoint of going into a work building to do work and then checking back out when I leave. But I agree with that. I'm, I'm the same. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, would love to work from home, but I'm one of them. I, I'm not keen on it, but, you know, needs must. Um, but, yeah, other than that, um, watch the bit of um, the show Vikings on... Amazon Prime. I'd give it a I'd give it a go previously and never kept up with it. And now me and the missus um, are watching it as we you know as we go along each evening. And it's all right. Yeah, I wouldn't you know not, not on to season two. I'm not wouldn't rave over it and go you need to see it. But it's good. It's good. I'm a fan of it. How about you? Better after season two. Season I believe two, so. They were all done I by believe. the history channel. So once Amazon took it over, it ramps up a little bit more and it gets a lot better. <clears throat> yeah. I've heard that from other people. I was you've literally took the words out of your mouth. When you said it gets better as a season two, I was gonna say someone told me that when it switches from History Channel to Amazon, it's the game changes and um yeah, so that's you're the second person who sent that to me. So I'm hoping to get the end of season two boxed off after this show and then we'll see where we go from there. Good stuff. Yeah, for How me though, um, I got furloughed back in back end of March. So at the minute I'm Mr. Johnston teacher. And all round dad, pretty much at the moment with the two kids. But you know, Mrs. is still working from home, um, full time as well. So it's a bit of a pain in the ass. But I'm basically, as long as the school are giving me work for them to do, you know, I've got to work on printer now. So give them everything they need, and then give them a couple of hours, and then you just see one of them running around with the with the tablet before. So you know, once they've got their iPads, they're happy. But um, apart from that, um, apart from that, I'm playing, I'm playing a lot more PlayStation games. <laughs> I see, yeah. Got back into um, 
Final Fantasy VII remake came out in it last week, mm-hmm. so straight back into that. Uh, Streets of Rage Four as well on the PlayStation and the Switch. I got it. For, I got it for both because I'm weird like that. Um, I've just been playing it a lot more online on the on the PlayStation as well. It's it's so good. I'm I'm really enjoying that Streets of Rage Four. Yeah, that's the one thing I've forked out again for PlayStation Plus, so I can play online games. It's been it's been a lot more FIFA been played. It was one of them. It's a it's a game that I've played a hell of a lot of in my lifetime. It's probably yeah. I'd hate to see the amount of hours that I'd spent playing FIFA at <laughs> the time, but obviously it's great to be able to play online with my mates again, and then it, it just keeps you sane, really. Got to, Annie. So you need, you need something. What's the Final Fantasy remake like? I played the original, loved it, but I haven't got a PS4 to play the new one. I'm going to get one. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I've any time, basically. I'm, I'm, yeah. It's, to get, and that is going to be the first game I get, because it does look good, but is it as good as it looks? It it to me it feels like a bit of a hack and slash game at the moment because it's like it's it's a button basher, but then you've yeah. got that little bit of uh, role play in the middle of it as well. It, it, graphically, absolutely stunning. Musically, the the score to it is incredible, as you would expect it to be. It's all updated and everything. Mm. I'm just, mm, I, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm not loving it the way because I I could easily just go back and bounce into Final Fantasy VII on the PS One yeah. now. And just and just blitz it and just play it for like a day if I want to. This one I'm like an hour, hour and a half. All right, I'll I'll pack in for a little bit. But the it just seems like a boss battle after boss battle. It's not like the way Final Fantasy VII was. It's more like the later Final Fantasy Fifteen and stuff like that. So yeah. it's it, it it's good. I'm enjoying it, but I I, I think it's going to be hard for them to do more than. I mean, it only goes up to like chapter eighteen or something like that, which is just out of Midgar. For all you nerds who are watching, <laughs> you get out of Midgard and you're on the world map, and then that's when the game is finished. And yeah, then it's, like, it's going to be like another two, but then that is the game, and then it's like a, the next part of it, which is going to be like this two and another sixty quid <laughs> or something. You know, or it's going to be DLC, something like that. Yeah, well, that's it. You, you know, the, the classic downloadable content here, but then now it's just it's pay to win, isn't it? Or pay yeah. to play, even at this stage. It's crazy. I'm just, I'm just glad I'm off work and I've got actually. A little bit of disposable income. You know what I mean? Just got that little bit of extra cash by not going to work and you know, spo- I'm spoiling myself and being a teenager again and buying games. <laughs> Tell me about it, mate. So obviously we'll move on anyway to the first segment of the show, which is the Marco Silver review. And we'll start with you, Dave. Let's go back to the beginning, the summer of 2018. What was your opinion when Marco Silver was announced as our new manager? Well, he couldn't have done any worse than Cumin or Allardyce, really, could he? I think, I think um, you look at it and you go, well, we needed someone in. And we needed someone in fast to steady the ship and get someone in with Marcel Brands. But my, 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 from, from the get-go, it was like, I don't want him. I, I, did, I didn't want him as manager of Everton. You know, it wasn't just, it just didn't come from anything that instilled any kind of confidence in me. You know, you look at Cumin and probably similar, but it was that name and, you you know, that recognisable name with Ronald Koeman. You can go, well, hang on. It's, it's Ronald Koeman. It's not, well, it was Marco Silva. And, you know, the 48 games in the English football to then come to Everton, that's not an Everton manager to me. And, you know, everyone's, it's, it's more a case of like, all right, he's here. We've got to get on with it and hope that something changes and it something clicks within brands. But for me, uh, uh, from, from the get-go, I was like, I don't really want this fella in. 
but I'm willing to give him the benefits of the doubt and you know see where it takes us. Yeah, I think I was a lot more confident, I think, than you were in him. I think the fact that he was bringing some kind of a more attacking style of play to the team, to obviously what we'd have to witness under Allardyce and to a lesser extent Koeman before that, I thought, whatever it'll be, it'll be a breath of fresh air. And I think to an extent it was. What did you think, Terry, when Silva was announced? Well, when we were first linked with Silva, you know, um, in the early parts of the season before, I wasn't really, you know, struck on him. I didn't dislike him per, per se, but I thought, well, he's not really done anything. You know, he's done all right with Watford. I didn't really, I didn't hold the um, the whole spell against them, to be honest, because of the situation he went into. But I was like, you know, I was underwhelmed. I was like, mm, you know, he's, I can see why they want him. He's, you know, they think he's going to be another Pochettino and, when he was at Watford before the wheels came off, he was getting like linked with like, oh, we might go to Chelsea after this. So he was, he was a hot commodity before his his form dipped off. But when he actually got appointed, a lot of time had passed between the first link and then, and I had completely changed my opinion at that point. I was like, it was I hated Allardyce. I I mean hated him. Every press conference, I was just sweeping non-stop afterwards, slating him. I couldn't stand him. I couldn't wait for him to be shot at the club and we, the club could breathe fresh air again. So just like, you know, when if you get out of a bad relationship and the next person is not as bad and you're just like over the top with how much you think they're great, I was a bit like that with Silva. When he was appointed, whilst he, I still would have, you know, I was still... You know, you line up, you know, Paolo Fonseca and other managers we were linked with. Silva was still down, you know, my list of, of candidates, but I was just so happy to have a young, like, fresh, you know, fresh ideas, progressive manager who wants to play attack and football on paper. I was I was made up. I was like, you know what? I, I would have preferred someone else, but I just think he's so much better than what Allardyce was. And I was happy for the club to get out of that little spell because I, I personally liked Koeman I thought he you know he should have got a bit longer in the job I'm you know no point going over that now but I was I was so anti-Allardyce and I was just happy to have what I considered to be a proper Everton manager again in the sense of it wasn't this self-promoting you know ego maniac idiot in Sam Allardyce so I was quite enthusiastic but with all those like qualifiers I think that I think we can speak for a lot of Everton fans in that respect where I think at that stage we took on this anything but Allardyce mentality and do you think that maybe helped Marco Silva's cause in his early stages as Everton manager sort of especially when he first encountered that bad spell in the winter of the first season when we were struggling a bit do you think he sort it sort of bought him a bit more time the whole at least he's not Sam Allardyce mentality did with me yeah yeah definitely I'd have thought so because of the Sorry, Sally, go on. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it wasn't right. It, it, I look back now and just think I was wrong there. Like, I was giving him um, benefits of the doubt when he didn't deserve it and he hadn't earned it. But I was just so keen to get a bit of stability and a bit of, like, you know, let's not turn on this manager. Let's stick with it because look what happened last time. That, you know, I think I, I was a little bit naive and, you know, giving him, you know, chances that he, you know, if we hadn't have had Allardyce before Andy wouldn't have got. Mm. That's definitely yeah. Probably, probably say the same. It's just um, you you did give him the benefit of the doubt even in his press conferences, and you know <clears throat> we were thinking goals will come. 
girls will come here where you know we were doing all the all the all the great work outside you know up leading up to 18 yard box and just not having that killer instinct i suppose that was with with having calvert lewin up top a lot you know calvert lewin was still finding his feet for for the majority of the season and it was it, i saw that sort of hamstrung um it, it hamstrung hamstrung silver a bit it's like well where do who do i turn to do i turn to umani ass you know cheng tosun wasn't doing anything and you know he, he did struggle, but it was like no goals are going to come. We and that and we all we all sat there and we all said it's like we're playing good football. We're just not getting the results. We, just, we, we we'll keep chipping at this, and one day we're just going to spank a team and we're just going to go on a run. And you know, <clears throat> unfortunately, didn't really happen until like the latter stage of the season. I think I think what was sort of disappointing if you spoke about his press conferences. I thought is press conferences were really bland. I just mm. couldn't listen to them. I mean, whether you liked Roberto Martinez or not, I could listen to his press conferences and he had a bit more of a charisma, whereas I think Marco Silva was pretty dull, wasn't he? I remember his, some of his press conferences, like especially in the pre-season of this season that we're, in, we're still in now. It's, it's, hard to, it's been that long ago now where I almost forget that Silva was the manager at the start of the season. It's... In the last two months, it felt like an eternity, but that's kind of what it was like listening to a Marco Silva press conference. Mm. Yeah, he just mumbled through them all, didn't he? And and you know what I mean. Like at that, I, that was another thing. It was like, yeah, he doesn't communicate well, but and everything was always. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but everything was. He's crap. Yeah, but, yeah, but he's gonna. He's it'll. It's gonna come off because there were things you could grasp onto, um, under Silva because Kuman his first season was basically Lukaku just like hid all the weaknesses and it's the same I think Aubameyang's doing it now for Arsenal I think without Aubameyang they'd go like we did without Lukaku but he, and then since Lukaku left we've had no like no saving grace in the team at all there was like no players that anyone liked and there was no you know, there was no standout player who was like you know making things bearable but then eventually when Silva comes in he come in with alongside. We had Luca Dean, who was you know everyone adored him because he was so good. And like Bernard down the left was you know the new Baines Pienaar type thing, and Richarlison was scoring goals. So it came you know Silver came in with like things you could grasp onto as like you know positives to say you know sort of go well look it's better now because you know look at look at this look at that and. We say about like oh well he he, he was helped by the you know spectre of Allardyce. I think before he went on the run, you know, like before the Cardiff win, which turned things around a lot for Silva, there was like talk. It's it's happened again since, obviously, that you know he's going to go, and David Moyes might come in, and I think that was you know as, you know it wasn't as widely reported as it was this recent time, but there was rumours that David Moyes was spoken to about coming in, and I think you know a lot of people were like, no, nah, just stick with Silva, even though things aren't great. You don't want to go backwards and just have a repeat of the Allardyce thing, where everyone's just disillusioned and everyone's not enthusiastic, and we'll just, you know, we'll just stick with it and see if it comes out the other side. Yeah, I think there was always. I think we were scarred a bit by the Allardyce era, where we didn't want to have that sort of permanent manager, but interim manager, if you know what I mean, in the sort of Allardyce sense. Which I think David Moyes would have been if we brought him in as well, and. Obviously, we had that same issue when we did sack Silver eventually in December. I think for a long time before Carlo Ancelotti was announced, it was rumoured it was definitely going to be David Moyes for about a week, I think, wasn't it? 
and I think which obviously the fans didn't receive well. I'd have been sick if that had happened. Honestly, God, I, I, I think I think if, if Moyes was to come in, I'd have been done with football. Honest <laughs> to God, that that that's one cut too many. That was it. Mean you know you look at Cumin, you look at Allardyce, you look at Silver's tenure. It's death by a thousand cuts. Even going back to Roberto Martinez, you know you look you looked at Martinez's style in his first season. <clears throat> it's great attacking, flowing football, pressing high 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 energy. And then it just went. It, we're just going to pass it. We're just going to keep passing the ball around, and it was. And we we conceded so many goals and lost so many games. And it was death by a thousand cuts. And I think you know Moyes would have been the th- the cut on, across my throat. That'd been done. Honest to God, I could. I, I don't think I'd have bothered with Everton anymore. <laughs> that well, probably was a fish me off as well. And you know what? It's not even that much. I mean, it is a bit, but it's not even a completely a comment on Moyes' ability as a manager. But it's just. So depressing, isn't it? The idea. I mean, you want to, you want to be excited by your club. You want to be able to get behind it. And every time, I, I just think some of the bad decisions since. Well, I think Lukaku leaving is probably a good, a good thing, a good timestamp. Since then, the decisions that we've made with regards to recruitment and regards to um, you know managers and what have you, they've been so hit and miss that everyone was just so tired of like. Rolling the dice and like no one who would have been enthusiastic about Moyes coming back in. There'd been people who would have thought it was a good move and it was but a sensible bear, move, but no one would have been excited, would they? Even there's bear in hard. mind though that even then, obviously, Moyes did a good job at Everton over 11 years there or thereabouts, but it wasn't the same Moyes that was coming back as the one that left us. No, he's washed up no. now. That, that's no, there, there, there was no hunger with that Moyes. You, you look at you look at his time at United, then you know um, his time in Spain wasn't good enough. You know, and then you know he, he bounced around a little bit and ended up at West Ham. And yet, to be fair, he kept West Ham up, but that is literally what he was there to do. You know, it's to then come to Everton and say, like, "Listen, you're going to have to turn this around again, but you're going to have to deliver." And I don't, I don't think Moyes has, has that in him anymore. I don't think he's got that fire and that spark that he had during that period where it was backs against the wall for Everton. And, you know, you know we're the underdogs. All right, let's, let's, let's show them what underdogs are made of, you know what I mean? And there's no, there's no fight in Moyes anymore. You can see it when he's on the touchline. He just, he just looks at just beaten. I mean, the thing... Sorry, go on. Um, no, wait, go ahead, Sorry. Sorry, they're just on back onto Silver. I do think though, with, with Silver, I thought for the longest time his biggest problem was the press. Like, he eventually it was his own, you know, his own football, his own, you know, doing that cost him his job. I'm not suggesting for a second he didn't deserve to go. You know, you could list off a load of things like the the, the, the away record by itself, the fact that he won like what one away game or what it was it while he was here or two. It was just atrocious. Um, but he didn't. He needed to be spectacular to to counteract the fact that the press hated him because he took Allardyce's job. So mm. everyone in the press couldn't wait to stick the knife in on him, and he didn't have the personality to like overcome that. Like he was so meek and so like withdrawn and sunken into himself and you know mumble, mumbling. Now, I don't, I'm not even saying like it was an English thing. His English was fine. He just had no. Presence, no gravitas as a manager, which you do need. And the press were just out to get him at every turn. Like he was, he told 
one of the away games that you know we got a result. He, he told the support, the sorry, the players to give their share to the supporters. And idiots like Kundi on Talksport were going, "That's the sign of a desperate manager." What telling the players to give the away fans the shirt as a desperate manager? He was snake bitten from the minute he got there, and he gave, the minute he got to Goodison, and he just didn't have it in him. He wasn't a good enough manager or a big enough character to overpower that narrative. And for me, he, he, he basically he was on the outs as being an Everton manager this season at the home game for Spurs when the horrid injury for Andre Gomez happened. And he was just so me. He just, you know, like afterwards, he, like we be. I don't even mean around the injury, but that game, the the, the penalty decision we didn't get, like the old. He was too timid. He was too respectful of the officials. Who, if you'd asked me, I thought he was too soft on the players. I thought if the referee had took more of a hold on that game, then perhaps the tackle that led to the injury doesn't happen. In the first place, yeah. I think if the referee yeah. is controls the game more, obviously Spurs were practically refereeing the game because we weren't getting in the faces enough. Well, yeah, exactly. We we need. I I think um, an Everton manager should be combative because the fans are combative. Look at Goodison when it's yeah. snarling, when it's nasty. You need a manager that embodies that. You don't need a hothead manager who starts. You know, gets himself sent off all the time. But case in point, Carlo Ancelotti is one of the most decorated managers, most calm and collected managers in world football. But you know, when that decision went against us at Man United at the end, what did he do? Straight Sorry, on the right in the ref's face, love it. Right in the ref's face. Honest to God, that was where Marco Silva, I think, ultimately went wrong. I think we could have got past the football and, and you know would have improved and you know and, and we could have we could have like lived with with we could have lived with a lot of the other negatives if his personality would have been a better fit with supporters. Like I I would never have dreamed Ancelotti would be a bombastic fire in the belly type manager. But he clearly is. Like he he is when he needs to be and that's that's why that's why Everton fans have talked to him so much. It's not just about the, you know, the success that does help. But if he hadn't, even if he'd have had all that success, we just didn't, you know, fit the fans. You wouldn't have that sort of connection with him. And he's only been here five minutes, and we've already got well more of a of a link with him than we have ever had with Marco Silva, and he was here for eighteen months. I think it's worth remembering, though. You just said, like, obviously, you didn't think he had that fight. I think all the top managers have everything in them to be what they need to be when they need to be. It's that, And I think he talks about that in his book, doesn't he, about his decisiveness, that he knows when to be angry, when to be reserved. And I think Marco Silva only was very monotonous in the sense that he was constantly too quiet, too, like, meek, quite sulky. I think he just sucked it up a bit too much as well. And obviously, he was getting pelters off the press, like you say. It was, I think it all just came together to I think it all just come down on top of them didn't it like a ton of bricks I think yeah I think apart from that as well do you think it's just this, it, it, he almost come across as a bit stubborn as well as, as not not just like you know like as you're saying he's very uh, monotonous but also a very stubborn person it's like you know this no this is how I'm going to do it this is how I'm going to set it out I'm not going to change my ways or anything like that and you just think mate just Fucking take cigarettes enough. <laughs> For once, you know, and the base wants to scrap the 4-2-3-1. Oh, I despise that formation with a passion. 
I mean, yeah. obviously we saw it was the downfall of Roberto Martinez in the first place. I think he, he, he was too slow to change things and that saw him out the door. I mean, obviously with Marco Silva, I think it was 10 times worse. I think the rot set in so much quicker than it did with Martinez, which set it all really because obviously it was pretty diabolical towards the end of the Martinez era. But Silva pretty much lost the dressing room a lot quicker, I think, didn't he? I, th- I think I think thinking about when uh, I wrote this down before because I'm thinking about Silva and everything as well, as well. He lost the majority of his midfield, and you know, you know, you look at you look at there's, there's different things that sort of went went towards his downfall. Because you look at like you know the Brighton defeat, you know the, the last last minute penalty or last minute goal, you know the penalty that wasn't, and he went back and said actually it wasn't a penalty and stuff like that, you know. We never really recovered from the Derby defeat in the last minute, and we seem to take we took that into the new year, and we took that in we took we took that excuse for quite a while, and he kept using that excuse to say like, oh well, listen, we still haven't recovered from the from getting beat by the in the Derby. That's, that's like, pathetic to, to use. It that is. It, it's those little things. It, it it's that attitude that he had. But then, you know, you look at it. He lost Andre Gomez. Um, he lost Gabamon within, you know, an hour. Of, you know, and his leg fell off, and he's not been the same. And losing to gay as well, who we, ne- we you know, you, you don't bank on Gabamon's leg falling off when you've replaced when you've replaced him from you know after selling Adrissa gay And you know, losing that midfield, that's an engine, that, and that and that we couldn't recover from that. I think as well, you know, he, he's had, he's had honest, to... even with Ancelotti in charge, I don't think we've recovered from that. You can't, no, you can't when you don't have the personnel required to do it. No, this, this, this is the it, though he was all all the injuries, all last minute like you know goals and the decisions he had in the two seasons he was here he had loads of decisions incorrectly go against him. He was a very unlucky manager, and you can't have that if you're a, if you're in an unlucky club, which we are. You can't have an unlucky manager because it just compounds and stacks on top of each other. But, but I um, he wallowed in it as well. Yeah. yeah. He didn't, Allardyce. he didn't stand up to it. Allardyce, to be fair to him, was a lot more like in in the press's face, if you ask me. Quickly, yeah. He, well, he was fighting the supporters rather than the press. But the thing, oh, the, the point was going to be about Allardyce then, and this is a damning thing of silver, is that Allardyce is um, one of his go-to lines about you know, when he's asked, usually on talk sports, about um, you know, his time at Everton. He always says, "Well, I didn't have the players. I only brought in two players, and you know they brought in all those players. Neither them. Ancelotti play. has got Ancelotti's got the same squad that Silver had when he when we were atrocious. Duncan mm. Ferguson had the same squad that Ancelotti uh, that that Silver's had. Marco Silver had Richarlison and Calvert Lewin both there, both fully fit. If he'd have just been less stubborn, as Dave said, he could have he could have done easily done what Ferguson and, and then subsequently Ancelotti have done." Put the two of them up front and adjust the team accordingly and play around that winning combination which we've got. You know, you can't say like, oh well, you know, imagine, you know, if someone were to turn around and say, well, you know, Silver didn't didn't have Richarlison all season, but uh, Ancelotti has. No, he had those players. It's not like Ancelotti suddenly playing and he's got Kabamon back, and you know, Gomez has only just been back five minutes, so he hasn't really used him properly yet. Same resources, but a much better manager. And even a much less experienced manager in Ferguson saw what needed to be done. Very simple changes, play to the strengths of the players you've got. 
and make the most of it. And Silver's just like, no, we're playing this, and that's all we're playing, coming out of high water. I always wonder why these managers are the way they are, because it's not just, I mean, we've had far too many of these kind of managers, and even David Moyes, for me, was one of them. He was too stuck in his ways at times as well, no matter how well a job you think he did. But it, it goes for clubs at loads of clubs in the bottom half of the table. And I find those kinds of managers at that level are just too stubborn and refuse to change their ways. And it just, it costs so many of them the jobs. And it, you wonder, like, when does the penny drop? You wonder if it's, you know, as you said there, you know, they're stuck in the ways. Do that, and it, it goes, you look at Silver as well. Do, does that manager have a plan B? And if, yeah. if that plan B doesn't work, does he have a plan C? And that, for me, we've not had it. And all these managers that come in and show, and show it, you know, you, you look at Everton, for the prime example, obviously, you look at Silver, Silver's style, which was a lot of passing, a lot of, you know, a lot of high pace. But it, but it didn't amount to anything. And it's like, well, listen, as, as Terry's just alluded to then, you play to the strengths of your strikers, which we didn't do. You know, we started pushing Carvalhoen out wide and, you know, Making them go win headers on the wing, and then try and do and then try and do everything else. You know, Ancelotti's seen that and go, listen, lad, just go and play in the middle. Don't play in the middle of the park. Wait for the ball to come. Do do what you need to do and win the ball where you need to. But be in that central position. And he's changed Calvert Lewin's game around to, you know, what 15, 15 goal season striker so far. And you know, but it, it's not different. It's not it's not massive changes. It's simple. Listen, go and do that. Go and do your job as a striker. Go and do your job as a winger, and it's working. And and it it's a stubbornness, yeah. But it's also I don't know how to get myself out of this any other way. I'm going to stick to what I've got, and hopefully something sticks. Just in a quick defence, though, of well, not just silver, but like other managers like that. I think it may be a confidence thing because you know if this four four two is to suddenly stop working, and Ancelotti just decides he's going to change it up. Everyone had just given the time and the benefits that's out over that because he's Carlo Ancelotti. Silver started tinkering with the formation. Yeah, eventually everyone would be made up because we were telling them to. But if if he'd have done that further back down the line and it still wasn't working, you know, he'd get it levels at him. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's changing formation every week. And that is a valid criticism of some managers. But I think it may just be a confidence thing. These managers know that they're only, you know, four or five defeats away from the sack. So they're just terrified of changing things in case they're perceived as being, you know, unsure of themselves. It's a good point. I mean, the managerial climate is the way it is in the Premier League and has been for a good 10, 15 years, to be honest. It's it's not really what you want to see, but it, it is what it is. And obviously managers seem to understand that and obviously they get rewarded handsomely for their seconds, unfortunately, and far too handsomely as far as Everton are concerned with the likes of Martinez, Koeman and of course Silva now I think, is that always an issue do you think with Everton, of course obviously the FFP side of things and obviously we want to keep as much money for the coffers for transfers we don't want to be constantly paying off managers to be sacked I know that was a big another big question mark against should we sack Silva when the rot set in at the start of the season I think Silva was probably set up contract-wise to make it a little bit easier to sack him. Not to say that it would, you know, it was it's easy to sack anyone financially. You've got to pay them out, 
But I think the lessons were learned from Martinez and Koeman. I, I don't know. Well, I say lessons were learned. I think he only got a three-year contract, didn't he? So he was the shortest contract of any of our, you know, like not including Allardyce, any of the three permanent managers in recent years of Silva, um, um, Koeman and Martinez. Now, obviously, we've gone back on that and give Ancelotti a massive long-term contract, but I think that was, you know, part of how you'd attract him. You're not going to give him a three-year contract, are you? I, mean, but, it's also, I think it's a confidence thing again. I think, I think the board know that, you know, Ancelotti is one of the best managers in the world. The fans aren't going to turn on Carlo Ancelotti. They'll turn on every member of the playing squad before they turn on Carlo Ancelotti, if you ask me. Yeah, true. I mean, it's just, it's one of them. Like, you can never guarantee anything, um, but you just hope that you eventually land on that. We've, we've land on the right man in charge because we've, we've gone from a club that didn't sack managers to being one that regularly sacked managers. And Silver, for my money, needs to be the last one we sacked for a long time. We don't want to get that reputation of being a merry-go-round club. And I think we're verging on it, even if we're not already on it. Um, but Ancelotti, I think, has got the best chance just because he will have, just from his reputation, the confidence of supporters because he's the first, well, yeah, apart from arguably Koeman because he'd had some success at Valencia, but it has, he was, he's the first. I'll be honest, I don't think many Valencia fans will agree with you on that. I know he won a cup, but he nearly took them down. Well, on, pa- on paper, if not in practice, but he's, Ancelotti is certainly the first for a very long time, proven track record top manager we brought in. Like we've had managers in the past who've come good like Moyes and we've had managers who've come in who didn't come good like pretty much everyone else Ancelotti whether he's good or not will he's the only one we've had who support us and just go can't really say he doesn't know what he's doing if he's having a bad spell people will be confident that it is a spell in my opinion that's a a bit the perfect way of describing the situation because Ancelotti I think I've spoken to a lot of fans, especially ones who saw the glory days and say this club's bigger than maybe what it's perceived to be. And people say, we need a, club, a manager who represents the level that this club wants to be at. And this is certainly the first manager that we've had who certainly represents that sort of calibre that the club aspires to be because all the others have been, at best, upper mid-table managers. And, of course, I think that's what Marco Silva was, at best. Yeah, probably, yeah. So, yeah, I'd say, just to finish off, what would you say Marco Silva's legacy is at Everton? That 10-game run towards the end of last season, where, you know, we beat beat Chelsea, Chelsea, uh, United and Arsenal, you know, and, and it all it all started sort of with the nil nil at Liverpool. Uh, 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 the red check would stop them from winning the league. So it, 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 he's he's got that he's got that going for him a little bit. But you know, obviously those three games. Um, the one the one thing that always that always gets me with that is that Fulham game where you could literally have put your house on it that we weren't going to win against Fulham. I mean, like, yeah, we beat everyone else. We we did, I think we beat Chelsea United and Arsenal, and then. We we stumbled against Fulham away, and it's like, how the fuck do you do that? It's like, and that's that typified. It's vintage Everton, really, isn't it? Yeah, it just typified Silver though as well. You well, know, he can turn it on when he needs to. Already relegated as well, Fulham. They weren't even fighting for the lives, really. We were already like the name. If you know what I mean. 
Mitrovic just bullied Jagiel Jagielka in his forties. Oh god! That was it. Was it was, it was Jagielka's game? Jagielka had come back against Arsenal, hadn't he? Scored the yeah, winner. Scored the winner. And then he went, "Oh, we'll, we'll just carry on playing him." <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, the, the, again, that was another thing about about Silver. I think his decision making, obviously, I think he he made the wrong decision too often, and I think that's really sort of sunk him. Yeah, just wanted on the question of his legacy. The um, he'll be looked back on now, considering. I mean, he can only do this if we go on to be better. Without him, I'm pretty sure we will. But he'll be looked back on like Mike Walker. He'll be seen as one of the worst, you know, pound for pounds ever managers. One of the one of the poor ones. But he will be his positive legacy will be his role in bringing Richarlison. That'll be it. Like he was crucial to bringing Richarlison, who went on to be one of our top players and went on to be a top player. Whether we sell him for a lot of money or whether he stays around for a while, like Lukaku did. Um, yeah, it'll be poor manager was crucial to bringing in one of our key players in the Premier League era because I think that's how far the Charleston's going to go. That's a, that's a fantastic point, and I think a really good way to end the segment. I think Richarlison is Silver's legacy, even if Silver didn't perform well, he's brought in one of our best players for many a year. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. And then, but obviously, as far as Marco Silver goes, it was. I think it's pretty much it. I think we can say it between the three of us. It's been a sort of disapproval more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, that, that Martinez didn't perform. Had a spell where he was good, but his last and legacy was he brought Lukaku to the club. Mm. So it'll be the same. I mean, again, great players, but it's just one player and the manager oversaw underperformance. Mm-hmm. And I think we can, and unfortunately, I think it's far too regular that we say that about managers and obviously the, the amount that we've sacked. But I think it's safe to say we can agree on Marco Silva's legacy as an actual manager was underperformance. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so there you go. course at this stage we can't say when the next window will be but when it does open Everton will no doubt want to continue the rebuilding job that's needed here and we will want to strengthen a few areas now the financial impact of the coronavirus crisis and the lockdown may mean the pair strings need to be tightened a bit and there may be less new arrivals than we might desire so the question we're posing in this show is if we have to restrict our transfers to just the one or two in the summer which positions do we place as the highest priority? We'll start with the Falcon Blue Zone. Dave, where do you think needs to be strengthened the most in Everton's first 11 right now? Centre-back. Centre-back? I think, I, think, I, think, I think for me, you know, you know, you look at the progress of Mason Holgate and how well he's done. You know, he, he did have a, he had, he had a spell under the... Under Cooman and under it was under Cooman, wasn't it? Where he was playing at right back, played quite well, struggled. You know, he was in and out a little bit, and you know, you you look at you look at the lad and you go, he's not a right back, he's a centre half, and you, you, as I said, you see the progress that he's made, and it's like that's what he was bought to do. 
you know, you look at him and John Stones with the two, I don't know, something in the water in Barnsley or something that do, does something to centre half, but the pair of them are just absolutely fantastic centre half. I know John Stones is struggling as of late, you know, in that city side and not getting much of a game, but you you know he's capable of doing something. And I think Mason Holgate has finally stepped up himself and gone, right, this is my chance to be the centre-half at Everton and to prove that I can actually compete in this Premier League. Playing alongside Yeri Mina has been, you know, Mina, Mina struggled as well and then has flourished and then has, has gone on and, you know, he's had his injuries, which we all know of um, when he first came in. And then you look at Michael Keane and you think, where does the missing or where's the, the weak link? And I think it's Michael Keane for me. And I don't think he's he stepped up to what he, he could have been as well. I think, you know, when we got him from uh, Burnley, it was like, fucking hell, we're paying 25 million here for Michael Keane. United's a keen on him. Keane, sorry. Um, and it's like, well, where, where was this Michael? What, what, what's happened to the Michael Keane of playing alongside Ben Mee? As of that at Burnley, to what we've got now, and it just seems like he's gone back so much in his career—not in his career, but you know, in the way he's playing lately—that he, he he is down the pecking order at Everton. So for me, I you know, a, a centre half is my first and foremost because you know, defence wins games. You know, defence wins a game every time. Doesn't matter. You know, to be I I I I'm a defender to play right back, and I'm I will run and run and run. But I'll work hard for you know defensively, and I think that's what we need—just someone else, just in that in that defence, bit like in the Jagielka mould, bit of pace, bit of guile, you know, talking, uh, plenty of shouting. We we've just lacked that, I think, for a while. And I think a centre centre half is something that we need first and foremost. Then maybe move into maybe looking at like centre midfields and stuff like that. But for me at the moment, centre back definitely. Uh, any recommendations? If we had to pick anybody, who would you go with in that centre half role? If that's a name off the top of your head, I think for someone, and, and I'll probably get shot down for this, but just someone who knows the league, someone like Chris Smallin. Oof. Do you know what I mean? You, you know, go, I'm not sure I will. That'll go down. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm going to get hung. I'm going to get hung out to dry on this one. But I no, but it's it's a player who knows the league, understands you know what it's like to win with United and stuff like that, and is now doing well over at Roma. It's like, well, hang on, he, he knows the league. He, he just slot in straight away. Even if it's that just, you know, an 18-month gap where it's like, okay, let's solidify the, cent- the, the centre-backs. And then you've got, you know, Luca Dean, fully fit. And you've got, you know, either John Joe Kenny, Seamus Coleman, whoever that might be, at right-back. And you've got a choice then of, you know, Keane, uh, Smallen, you've got uh, Yeni Mina, and you've got Mason Holgate. Zombies trying to get in the door, um, and you know it just just having more than three centre backs and having the choice of you know you can rotate it you can play two at a time at any time you want, and you know smaller maybe and if the money's there then you know it, it looks like I'd, you know if you suggested someone like Koulibaly from Napoli because of Ancelotti's you know Ancelotti's tenure at Napoli you're going all right well let's go and get him instead because you know he's he's a fantastic player and the money's there let's do it. But, you know, I think Smallin is one of those players who can just fit into that mould quickly and solidify the solidify the defence where we need to. But I'm probably going to get hung out to drive for that one anyway. I mean, it's, I'll be honest, it's not one I'd agree with personally. But, Terry, what about you? What, what position would you strengthen? Um, 
I was thinking about this before we came on. It, it's a hard one because there's like a lot of, in an ideal world, we need, you know, we'd like to improve about five positions. Like, let's be honest, you know, centre back, centre midfield, right back. Um, I do think, though, that it probably is a reality that, you know, we might see no transfers even, you know, given the the uncertainty of, of finances with the, you know, with COVID-19 and, you know, we've posted massive losses, haven't we? And, and you know, we, we've still got a lot of professionals on the books, you know, we're taking a wage. Like, even once you forgot about, like, you know, Matthew Pennington and players like that, and, you know, there's the obvious ones like Sandro and Balassi and, you know, obviously a lot of these players are going to end up going... Um, on free transfers like Nias Martina, probably Mo Bezic and so on. But I think it might be prudent for a summer or a, a spell where you just sort of you know, try and save money rather than spend it. But if we were to bring in a player in one position, I'd go for right midfield. Now, it's a, it's, it's a strange one, that, because I think the most urgent place in the team that needs improvement is centre midfield, like yeah. on a first-team basis. But... I've, I've done it by basically talking up what players we've got in each position and seeing, you know, what the strength and depth is there. Now, we do need improvement at right back, but we we have got in where, you know, if in a doomsday scenario, we've already got Kenny and Coleman. Would we like better? Yeah, probably, but we've got to. We've got centre-backs. We've got centre-midfielders. We've still got a centre-midfielder we've barely used. Like, for example, there's nothing to say that Gabamon doesn't come back in, you know, when his injury is completely healed up, and then he, he forms a partnership with Andre Gomez, and then we're all right from there. Like, obviously, I don't think the depth's very good, you know, Delph and Schneider and Sigurdsson, but there are players in. There's there's groups of players there, but as Walcott, I don't think Walcott is that good in the first place, but he's certainly the first, you know, first choice on the right, and then after that, what have you got? It won't also, be. And he's, I don't think Walcott is suited to a right mid position in a four four two either. He's not. He's never been a good crosser of the ball to put the service in for strikers, which you kind of need from your wide players in a four four two. Yeah, well, this is the thing in in Carlo's four four two. Basically, the right midfielder is like the third attacker, whereas the left midfielder is like the the number ten. He tucks in and like you know, yet there's loads of positions where you know the quality isn't quite up to like you know top six standards. But we've got players who can play those positions who are passable. You know, we Kenny and Coleman, we've got Wobie and, and Bernard, and whereas on the right, you've got Walcott and then nobody. Uh, maybe a Wobie and he's terrible on that side. And I think if you really want, if you were going to improve the team immediately. With one position, if you'd only bought one, I think the money you probably would best spent on that right midfield to make that third attacker alongside your other two best players, which is um, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. Because the left-hand side, it's going to be Dean, isn't it, with a tucked-in playmaker? And Walcott, as, look at the goal against Norwich away. Not Norwich, sorry, my mistake. Um, Watford away, the last-minute winner. It literally goes Richarlison, Keane, who'd just come on, and then Walcott, the, the three-pronged attack of the two strikers and the right midfield. And I would like to see an improvement in that position. Obviously, there's other positions as well, but if you'd only made one, I think that's the most crucial one. Get that third man in the in the attacking trio with Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. I think that makes us that make us really potent. That's a really good idea. And 
obviously there's so many names out there. Who would you go for if you are like obviously a realistic one, but if you had a choice, a right mid edition for the team? I mean, I don't know about realistic because of prices and you know what have you. But I, I like David Neres. Uh, he's he might not have the work rate for this league. It's it got to be said. He, you know, he's uh, uh, we when we were linked with him, I, you know, I've started watching him and you know watched him in the Ajax's run last season. He's not, you know, he's he's not Richarlison. He's, he's not, not a grafter, is he? No, he's not. He's but I, I do like him. I think he I think he would be a good fit in that, you know, three-man attack type thing that, you know, with the two strikers. There's obviously other names we've been linked with, you know, like Cengiz Under and all that, but I can't really speak to them because I've not, I've got to be honest, I've not watched them. But, um, yeah, I like David Neres. I think, you know, he would be a good addition, but it just depends as well. You know, last time we were linked with him, it was, it was a lot of agent talk, obviously, but it was 40 million pound moves and what have you. Like, you know, that'll come down now as everyone starts to look to, you know, it, you know, you know, sell players to recoup some money after the crisis, but I don't know. Davin Neres. Is it interesting one? Obviously, I think we speak about a lot of these wingers that we're linked with. A lot of them don't seem to have played in a four-four-two system, and it's it's always interesting to see how players can adapt. Is there any the the one that always stands out for me? I mean. Again, it might might not be the big name of a Neres or anybody, but obviously this is a shout out to our own Ben Crawford here and Dwight McNeil. I th- I, I <laughs> think because he's played in a four four two, and I'm not saying he's the best option like ability wise or anything, but I'm just thinking to fit the system, or is is the best way to go about it to fit the system or to bring in a better player and tailor the system to him. I mean, I don't know. It, it could, this transfer window, when it does happen, is going to be a strange one because some clubs will really, really do well out of it, you know, because the well, majority of other clubs are going to be looking to sell at reduced rates to just get their, their books in order. Now, Everton, I don't see on the face of it as being one of those clubs who are going to go, right, we're going to go and spend loads of money, you know, because we've, as I said before, had a lot of losses and, and what have you, and we're, you know, looking unhealthy and financial fair play but there's nothing to say that the financial fair play doesn't get relaxed and then uh, you know Uzbek you know you know sugar daddy doesn't like go right well we're going to sort out this is the moment to seize the opportunity really it might be pie in the sky stuff it might be you know you're joking aren't you it doesn't work like that but if we were to suddenly get our ducks in a row financially and FFP was to be relaxed we'd be out there We, you know we wouldn't be we could feasibly go out and get a few players and knock down prices. You know, like players like Ibrahim Sangari has been linked and he's going to be going for a lot less than he would have done because Toulouse have just been relegated. And there'll be clubs, especially in Holland and the likes of that, the smaller leagues, who are going to go, right, we need to sell we these players in. now. We need, we need to get the, the... But on the other hand, you know, we we might be one of those clubs as well who go, we need to sell, we don't need to buy. So it just depends. If you've... If you manage to get, if you're cash rich, you can do really well out of this market. But if you're not, which currently we are not, it might be a time to just like you know be a bit more, be a bit more frugal and just tighten the belts and come back next time and try again. I think it'd just be uh, interesting to see what happens with the free tra- with the with the players who are out of contract with Everton as well. You know, I mean, obviously, one of the things we were particularly looking looking at earlier in the or you know, in, you know, January February was like. 
well, hang on, Nias is out of contract, Sandro's coming out of contract, Balassi's coming out of contract. There's, you know, 300 grand's worth of wages being freed up a week. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, hang, hang on, we've actually got the money to spend it. And now all of a sudden, we're, you know, every the world's gone upside down. It's like, well, do we have, do we look to keep these players because we can't get the players that players in that we want and utilize them? I think, you know, it, it, to be honest, Dave, I think I've got my own answer to that question. Uh, absolutely not. It, 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 it is, no it's a resounding no, of course no, it is. But I'd rather see some of the kids have a go than even think of hanging on to those kind of players on those kind of salaries. Yeah. It's just financial suicide, especially given the circumstances Teddy says about... Mm. Well, we can assume safely that all the players who announce the contract, like Martina and Nias and, and you know who have you, they're going to be released. But there's quite a lot who are going into there last year. And I think a big thing in this market will probably be loans as well. So even though that's what we've been doing anyway, by loaning out these Deadwood players until their contracts expire, just to get some of their wages at least off the books, I certainly can't see, you know, in an ideal world, the likes of Balassi coming back in and having a, you know, or we get a fresh go and Everton with one year on his contract at his age. I, don't, I just don't see it. He, you know, happened. we need to, No, even under these circumstances, I think we'd just rather do without. But I, I do think that all the players who had a contract will just be released and all the players with one year on their contract will be available to loan. And that might be the case for incomings as well. It could be a mm. case of you see more two-year loans. You see um, cases of players who you'd be interested in. Not so much as many young players, like for example, Gabriella couldn't see us cloning him and then buying him next time when finances are all right. But we've been linked with James Rodriguez and if we were to shed enough wages, I think he could very real he could be a realistic shout for someone mm. to come in because but they're not going to sell him. Madrid and all these are clubs, they will need to sell as well and they're not going to get buyers for these players. But if they can get them on loan for the remainder of their contract, just like we might do with Balassi, they might you know, obviously on a higher up the ladder scale, they might do take the same thing. Go, you know what? He's on two hundred and eighty grams a week, but Everton are often to do hundred and eighty of that. Go on, off you go, because we it's saving us money. And it could be a case of that just all the way around the leagues, apart from particularly cash rich clubs like the Man United's. It's an interesting take. If James Rodriguez was to come in. Could he be the answer at right mid as an inverted winger? No, it's alright. It just doesn't play right midfield, does he? Play he plays um, number ten, doesn't he? Maybe maybe in a four four two. You know, like he might find a place, but I, I don't. I, I, he's basically Sigurdsson's replacement, isn't he? He's that kind of player. Or maybe he'd go into that Bernard's. It will be inside left role where he's sort of like he's out wide nominally, but he's cutting in with a full back going past him. Like I couldn't see him being the third, you know, uh, you know the right hand side. The right hand side's like a wide player who goes up high and wide, isn't it? Possibly. Yeah, I think you'd have to find um, a buyer for one of the other players, like like a Sigurdsson, like an. Uh, well, with Bernard and Nwobi, which you know is probably not going to be popular anyway, um, to get Rodriguez in. So, I mean, he could come in, but I just don't think we'll be able to shift out players he'd replace. I think we just have another piece of Edward, like a Sigurdsson, who, who would, you know, I'd be happy to see him stop playing, but he's not going to go anywhere, is he? Well, that's it, yeah. 
I'm I'm not too sure there's too much in the Hammers Rodriguez links, given that he's not like I say he's, his preferred position's a number ten, and we don't really have an out and out number ten in this new system. Is it really worth like sort of that kind of expenditure on a player who doesn't fit the system? No, maybe not. But he was he was really just an example of potential moves that clubs will make of loans for players who they can't sell but they want rid of. We're going to do it, I'm sure. And I'm sure other clubs will. Be, I saw the thing today. I don't think we'd be shopping in this market. But actually, after, after, having said that, I think we actually probably will, given our record. But Barcelona have got about 10 centre midfielders. They're going to be looking to loan them out. What do you think? Yeah, like an Arturo Vidal or somebody like that? Not, no one in particular, but I said, I don't think we'll do it because there's no one who fits what we need. But I, and then I thought, we love buying players from Barcelona. Why would we not be looking at that? Yeah, that's but a good point. There's, there's loads of clubs like that who are like us, who stockpile players, who, who, and half of them don't get a kick on the ball. Now, you know, one man's, you know, you know, rubbish is another man's treasure. So we, we might look at another club's Schneiderlin and he might be well better than, than what we've currently got. You know what I mean? So yeah, to to finalise your decision, it'd be a David Neres. That would be your one. Yeah, we, we went a bit off point, a little bit off point there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, I just realised that. In this scenario, yes, it, it, you know, given the qualifiers of stated about depth and you know bodies and whatnot, I'd go for a right hand side player who can join up with the strikers, and David Neres would be my pick. Um, there's other players, but I like him the most because I've seen him the most. Fair play. I think for me personally, I think you guys said name most of the positions, didn't you? Like obviously, Dave, you said centre back for your sign, and obviously right mid. I'd probably go with the the central midfield. I just think we're so threadbare in that position at the moment. And I think we, we were talking in the Silver Show earlier, weren't we, about how you can't do the job if you don't have the personnel. And obviously, Bannon's returning to fitness but we could use another kind of workhorse in the middle of that midfield to help us win the sort of physical duels. I feel like we're so we're so pathetic sometimes. Everton in the centre of midfield, we're in the big like 50-50s, and that can sort of help us gain more possession and maybe have a bit more of an impact on the game. I just think we need another, I feel like a water carrier, as Eric Cantona once put it about Didier Deschamps. I think we need that sort of player, a player who can, Put, throw his weight around in the middle of the park and win the ball back maybe and even him Sangare as you said before Terry I think that that's the kind of player we need to add in that midfield someone who can really throw his weight around like we don't really know anything about Kabamon as well I mean we've, we've literally seen about 75 minutes of him and you know yeah. when he came on a palace he, he struggled you know obviously the first game then he was brought on um, for an injury and it was like well, we, we don't know enough about him to think, well, actually, that, you know, is he Idrissa Gay's replacement, the player that we wanted, you know, that, that, we've, that we're crying out for, really, like you say, with a water carrier, which was literally Idrissa Gay. You know, the lads would run and run and run and just do all the, all, the, all the dog work and, you know, leave it to, you know, the likes of Gomez or, you know, to a lesser extent, Island to do what, what's needed. Is Gabamon that kind of player? So, yeah, even then, a centre midfield, it, 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 we need you know, that kind of... Player. Yeah, and we haven't yeah, had that For no. all we know, like Gabamon could not be suitable for a four-four-two either. He could be like we, we've got about ten centre midfielders, but they all seem to only be able to play in a three or only suitable, and you know, they're not a good fit in a two. 
I mean, centre midfield is our most urgent position quality-wise. I definitely agree with that. I just based it on numbers, though. We've got about 10 centre mids and one right midfielder. But in terms of where would improve this team the most if you brought in a new player, it's definitely centre midfield. So we've, who have we got linked with them? Alan? From a- Alan, that would be an interesting one. I think, depending on the whole wage and transfer situation, like you say, I think he'd be a good addition. Even at, you know, I think he's getting on for 30, but... So was Idrissa Gay, and he was doing a very good job of it. So why not? Mm-hmm. On on a loan, if, if like you say, if Napoli sanctioned something like that, possibly. But I wouldn't be throwing the whole like checkbook at him. I don't think he's worth that kind of money. No, certainly not. I mean, thing, right? I mean, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, nobody knows like what the situation's going to be. I mean, no, everyone assumes it's going to be worse than it was. Which how could it not be? But it, you know, it, it's just how other clubs are set up and how they're gonna how they're gonna handle it. If there's if any Premier League club can come out of this stable, they're gonna have their pick of a lot of players, like you know, who have reduced fees and from lesser leagues, just so they can keep them afloat. And I don't even I, I'm I'm talking like you know players who probably would have cost 30, 40 million before this are probably going to be going for like fifteen, twenty now, and it, but. But is fifteen twenty going to be a prohibitive price? Because it will go back up. You know, when things settle back down, the, the, the inflation will go back up again. It's just going to have one summer where if you get it right, you're going to literally make up, you know, a lot of yards on the, on the competition. Just hope that we're one of them who can pull it off. It's going to be one of them. I think we do need to have a look around, certainly for some bargains. When I, like I say, we don't even know when the next window is going to be. I keep saying the summer, but... Will it be the summer? When will the next transfer window be? Obviously, it's such an odd time. We don't know when they're going to sort of whether they move the goalpost in that respect. It, it's awkward, isn't it? I mean, you're hearing, you're hearing stuff saying oh, they want to resume back in June and stuff like that. Or, you know, as, as we're talking about before, um, before we come on air, like playing in Australia or something like this, like 9,000 miles away. And, you know, you... You can't even go to a funeral at the moment. Do you know what I mean? And you're, you're talking absurd, about isn't it? you're talking about shipping people nine thousand miles to go and play in Australia, uprooting families again, air, air travel. You're taking coaches. You're taking the the playing staff. You're taking the coaching staff, physios, doctors, and it's just a farce. It's, it's just one thing after another that you just hear and you think, "What the hell are you thinking?" But the truth when of the people, matter is, we've got these. Other leagues, the Netherlands, France have cancelled their leagues. Whether or not they award the title, that's a completely different debate altogether. But why shouldn't we? That's it, precisely. It's complete money grabbing exercise, and you know, it's when the media are pushing it as well. Like soft shite Ollie Holt yesterday. Oh, for goodness sake. We, we have to discuss that a little bit before we finish. The... You know, you, you looked at that and you're going, it must be Everton and United fans. So uh, does that mean Everton and United fans are the only ones with an actual working brain of what's going on at the moment? Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, we, probably are, we probably do sound the most vocal because, yeah, it's, it's our fiercest revival. But, you know, I'm sure if you spoke to someone, you know, a Bournemouth fan or a Norwich fan, it's like, well, we've got other priorities. You know, Norwich are fighting relegation. It's like, well, actually, you know, avoid the league and we're staying in. Never mind the void the league side of things, just the whole carrying the season on. I think any, yeah. 
I think somebody actually replied to this on that that tweet that he put out. And you speak to anyone, regardless of even a Liverpool supporter who works in a hospital, and they'll mm. beg to differ. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of it was just it was a lot of clickbait and everything, but at the same time, you just think, who's coming up with these ideas? And he, <laughs> he lost this points per game idea, which I don't get get one bit, no. to be honest with you. I think it's just I don't see how that's just that's just to sort out the games that are in hand. That it'll basically be the table now, but it'll affect the player, the other teams who haven't played and um you know, I think everyone else is on 28 and we're on... And it's, some, most teams are on 28 games and some are on 27. I think the points per game just sorts them out. And then after that, everyone is the same. So it's basically the league table. Maybe Aston Villa stay up, that's about it. Yeah, and it, affect, like five it, the top six. it affects... It affects majority of... Um, well, it affects all the teams who've got a game in hand, but everyone else is practically the same positions. We'd be 12th still... I don't know. It's I mean, just on Ollie Holt, I blocked that idiot ages ago. I just don't, <laughs> don't want to see what he has to say. He's the notorious. The absolute state of that, though. I mean, again, it's a case of a real lack of self-awareness, I think, of obviously what what the priorities are. Obviously, this show is about priorities, and we need to like basically put it straight that the priority is to get through this as unscathed as we can. I think like, someone said something to him today, though, as well, because he's come out with a tweet saying, how can you play, you know, when it's a contact sport and stuff like this? Like, well, hang on. He said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, have, a, have a look. I, I don't know the exact tweet, but it was basically coming out saying, oh, well, it's a con- uh, you know, how can you do this when there's contact with players, you know, the sweat and all this? It's like, <laughs> we've, been trying to, we've been trying to tell you this fucking weeks, mate, and you, you just had oh, to take God. it in. Someone, someone replied to the news story of like the women's team not wanting to carry the season on uh, Liverpool's women's team and someone replied saying they must be all blues or manx in that Liverpool women's team <laughs> fantastic fucking hell so well, obviously you, you do see some people's true colours when all this comes out don't you you, you see like mm. what obviously I'm not even sure if Ollie Alt's pushing for Liverpool to win the league is it a, it may well be like you say it might be a money situation obviously We've heard a lot of rumours about papers struggling financially as well. And he works for a paper, so, you know, there could be a different kind of agenda that he's pushing. But one way or another, it's not the right agenda to be pushing. Not at this moment in time, anyway. No. Yeah, we went a little bit off topic there. But, of course, on the note <laughs> of priorities, it was worth remembering that what the priority is to stay safe, basically, and basically come out of this as well as we possibly can. And, Obviously, moving forward, that is the end of this transfer discussion. But for you lucky podcast listeners, it's, of course, time for the If You Know Your History quiz. Tonight, it's Teddy versus Dave in another Matchday Squad quiz. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, that basically entails me naming an Everton fixture from the past and our two competitors will take it in turns to reel off the members of the squad, be it a starter or a used sub, who took part in the game. First to get a wrong answer, forfeits, and the other is our winner. So first things first, I'm actually, I've actually come prepared this week. I've brought a two-pence piece. We know what happened the other week with the <laughs> pen lid, so we're not going to be having a repeat of that. 
an actual coin to flip. I'm going to flip said coin, and this week I'll let the returning Dave pick whether he wants to go first or not. So heads or tails, Dave? Heads. Heads. It's tails. Teddy, do you want to go second, mate? I'll go um, second, please. Teddy's going to go second, so Dave, you're up first, mate. So with all that sort of, I'm going to reveal the fixture in question. So if we cue the intense quiz music, there it is. And in a show that focused heavily on Marco Silva, of course, we're going to hark back to the early stages of his spell in charge for tonight's fixture. And it's probably the best challenge we could save you from that time. And of course, that fixture is Everton 3, Rotherham United 1, EFL Cup 2nd round, 29th of August 2018. 14 correct answers to choose from, 11 starters and 3 new subs. Let's do it. You're up first, Dave. You like to name a member of the matchday squad? Stecklenberg. Martin Stecklenberg? Martin Stecklenberg was the starting goalkeeper. <laughs> That's that's all I remember. Hologram <laughs> <laughs> game, wasn't it? It's, it's one of them. I think we, I think John's picked an absolutely quality challenge for you. Is he? I think this is like probably the most forgettable game. I mean, I wish we could forget some of the others, but this is probably the easiest to forget from the silver era, arguably, except the fact that I was actually at this game. Yeah, I was at this game, so I know because I was watching a particular play and see how we got on. Uh, Kieran Dowell. Kieran Dowell started the game. Tom Davis. Tom Davis. I think he was the captain that day as well. That's three down, Teddy. Luca Dean. Luca Dean. He did play. Started the game. Four correct answers in a row. Good start. Dave? Michael, Michael Keane. Michael Keane did not play. <sighs> Wasn't even on the bench. Yeah. So, that does mean that Teddy's our winner after only five five answers given. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll reel them off anyway, just for a laugh. Go ahead. Teddy, do you want to give us another name? We've still got another... <laughs> The, how many have we got? Another 10 to go. Kertzuma. Kertzuma started the game. Nine to play. Uh, John Joe Kenny. John Joe Kenny started at right back. Eight left. Um, Umanias. Umanias started the game. Seven left. Schneidlin. Schneidlin was one of the substitutes. Six left. Did Sandro play? Sandro did play, he started the game and he was the player Schneiderlin replaced. That's right. Um, Five right. to go. Let's see. Two subs and three starters. Richarlison. 
Richarlison didn't play. And they're in the squad either. Wasn't even on the bench. Gilfie the Ghost, Sigurdsson. Gilfie the Ghost did play and he scored one of the goals. Mm. Remember them, Sigurdsson goals. <laughs> Remember them, Sigurdsson playing games. <laughs> Four mm. left, two starters and two subs. Bernard. Bernard didn't play. Wasn't even on the bench. I'm, not, I'm, I'm crap at this. <laughs> I'll be honest um, Calvert-Lewin Calvert-Lewin scored the other two goals he played the whole game Theo Theo Walker, Walker. Not, yeah. yeah he was one of the used subs come on for Sigurdsson 66th minute one we got one sub, one, one sub, one start. One sub. Yeah. Holgate. Mason Holgate was the final starter. Played centre half next to Kurt Zuma. Yeah, because he said Keane, and I knew that Mina hadn't played alongside Zuma until Newcastle, so it was either going to be Holgate or Jags. Yep. So that real rounds off the starters. Just one sub to go. It's going to be Yao Silva. Yao Silva? Uh, hang on. I think he was joking. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, goal, the, the, what's the goalie, the Portuguese goalie we've Yao Virginia. Virginia, that's the one. He was an unused sub. But we're looking yeah. for the final used sub. Uh, ooh. Cheng Tosin. Correct. That, that, that yeah. sees us to the end. Cheng Tosin came on for Umani Ass. Shortly after Umani Ass shanked the volley out for a throw in. Oh, standard. <laughs> uh, yep, so that, that's the end of all the completed team. The unused substitutes were, as Dave said, Joe Virginia, Matthew Pennington, Seamus Coleman, and Leighton Baines. Uh, thank God we didn't have to go to sudden death because I think we'd have had a, lot, a hard time guessing. The, the, the <laughs> question was who scored the one goal for Rotherham. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> Fortunately, I remember his, his, his name's Will Volks and he's a copite, so he was giving it loads to the park end. Oh, was he? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> he, he done a somersault and then, like, I don't know what he'd done, he just waved in front of the park end, which obviously didn't go down well with the stars. <laughs> But of course, with, with all that out the way, Terry, you won it very early doors there, mate. And again, you get to pick the song that sees us out at the end of this podcast. So if you'd like to tell us what song you'd want us to finish with and tell us a little bit about the song and why you like it and whatnot. Um, I'm going to go for... It's a cover of A Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. But the cover is by Carlos Santana and Chris Cornell. Ooh, hello. Quite uh, quite easy to find and it's it's just a belter song like it I love Led Zeppelin but they, these, the album by Carlos Santana I think it's just called Santana Guitar Heaven and it's just Santana doing covers of famous songs with like guest um, vocalists yeah and um, and Chris Cornell did that one and there's like there's quite a few um, like decent ones like um, yeah, Riders on the Storm um with Chester Bennington, but the best one in the album has got to be "Hold On Up" with Chris Cornell. It's just, it's just a, he was he was just an amazing singer, Chris Cornell. Like and this song just really suits him. 
Yeah, very good grief as well, Soundgarden. Yeah, um, he was he was great. Yeah, I I only really found he got into Chris Cornell like towards the latter part of his career. Like I, you know, Audio Slave, Soundgarden, and uh, you know his own solo stuff. Um, but his solo stuff, he started doing like uh, he done the Bond thing, like, didn't he? Yeah, that was really That's good. That's how I that. came across it, to be honest. That's a really good Bond theme, that one, eh? You Know My Name. But his, his album, his album for his, at that time, his, um, his solo album, he started doing stuff with Timberland, and it was terrible. <laughs> like, it, it was it was like, it just didn't suit him. It just didn't suit him. Like, I under, I'm not against artists doing different things. You know, like, you don't always have to stick to one thing, and that's it, because that tends to be what a lot of, like, fans want them to do. But if you're going to switch it up, you need to be good at it. You know what I mean? You can't make you can't make an absolute pig of an album. That's what he done. But I think that song was on it, and I don't think it was part of the album. I think it was just stuck on it. It was a song he done it like one off. It just sticks out on my like, game. Yeah, you know my name. But it's uh, yeah, great voice. And a, a great way to finish our show as well. So of course, thanks for coming on again, Terry, and of course our own. Falcon Blues very own Dave Johnston and of course check out, the, check out the Falcon Blues on Twitter and check out all the other good stuff they do like the tours and their pub quiz on the Thursday night if you're not mistaken yeah we should have something hopefully this week Paul's, Paul's working obviously um, working for care homes and stuff like that so he's on the front line doing his bit so you know fair play to him but um, when he gets when he gets a chance he puts a decent quiz together he really does is Ollie Holt on um, Paul's list <laughs> already he went on my. He went on the list last night when uh, I, I did a video with Barney and Callum last night, and I put I put Ollie Holt on there. But I was like, I'm gonna leave it to Paul to deal with the rest of it and do the actual video of putting them on there. But he definitely made the list yesterday. I like it. I want to know what this list is now. Oh, it's just a list of absolute knobheads. And you know, in the world, well, not specific to Everton, was the odd one it was Everton related, isn't it? But it's yeah. just got a list of people he hates. Oh, that's fantastic. So definitely go and let, check, let's check called, it. Let's, let's well. say it's called the um, the Mike Hunt list, and, ah. then, and then and then you'll understand what the list is actually called. Then I, 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 I <laughs> well, anyway, there you go. Be sure to check out that list as well. So he actually got a scroll made, so we could write people's names on there. Oh, a scroll. So, with yeah, a feather. So, you know, it gets it gets serious. <laughs> when there's a scroll involved. <laughs> Today, I'm looking at thanks for tuning in on the Toffee Blues, and we're going to finish with a whole lot of love by Chris Cornell and Carlos Santana. Thanks for, thanks for listening. See you later.